Welcome once again to the JDF1 podcast. What an amazing victory for Daniel Ricciardo in the Red Bull. He almost didn't make it into qualifying and then at the end of the Sunday he was on the top step of the podium. An amazing drive, an amazing turnaround in a really interesting race. One that will live long in the memory and has some big connotations for the future of F1 in 2018. So let's get chatting about it. Now, I'm happy to admit that I am a very big Daniel Ricciardo fan. And I think after the Chinese Grand Prix of 2018, if you weren't a fan of Danny Rick, you're going to be a big fan of him now. That was a fantastic victory and one that, well, it was never on, quite frankly, until a pivotal changing moment in the race that we'll get onto in a few minutes. But as always, I'm going to tell you if it's worth watching the replay. Uh, well... As you can tell from what I just said, absolutely. This is by far the best race of the season out of the three that we've had so far. Uh, Australia was, yeah, it was all right. It, it, was, it was very intriguing and it was tense and it was fun because it was the first race and it's Melbourne, but there was not much overtaking, obviously, which was a problem. Bahrain was a lot better. It was a very good race. Uh, we saw lots of interesting stuff going on and again, a slightly unusual result. Uh, but China... Yeah, this had a bit of everything, really. Um, it's I feel slightly smug, actually, at this point, because I put in my Super 8 predictions for the Chinese Grand Prix that Danny Rick would, in fact, win the race. Um, I wrote those predictions, and I'll admit that. I'll admit this quite uh, happily here. I wrote those predictions before I'd seen Free Practice 3. In fact, I didn't watch three Free Practice 3 at all. I just uh, had recorded qualifying. It was on about 7 in the morning. I hadn't watched it yet. I wrote my predictions something like eight or nine and then I watched qualifying and then I caught up on the news that Danny Rick had had a, a I think it was a turbo failure in the Red Bull uh, in free practice three and he wasn't potentially wasn't even going to make it into qualifying itself because Red Bull would have to uh, do perform a record breaking engine change in order for him to actually make it into qualifying itself so I was watching the TV and again oh god Look what I've done. I've predicted this guy's going to win the race and he probably will be starting from the back. But you know what? I didn't go back. I wouldn't change a prediction. I wouldn't change it based on any new information. In case you're not aware, I'd write my predictions based on the Friday running at a race. I think it's a bit too easy if you do it after qualifying because cars often, especially tracks like Barcelona, cars often finish where they start on the grid. So that would almost be a bit too easy. So I like to sort of try and predict based on uh, the first day's running at a Grand Prix uh, weekend to see where people are going to be. Uh, but anyway, long story short, I predicted Danny Rick would win. I just had a feeling, you know, and that, you know, this is the thing about Danny Rick. He hasn't had quite the outright pace on a Saturday of Max Verstappen, but he's got racecraft, man. He's got guile. He's got smarts. He's got experience. And he is by far the best overtaker in Formula One today, and I don't think there's any real debate about that. And again, we'll, we'll get into uh, that as we talk about this. But yes, uh, absolutely worth watching this race. If you haven't watched the replay, you should definitely watch it. Definitely watch the highlights. Formula One, uh, the Fish FOM are now actually doing some nice little highlights packages and sharing them on social media after the race, which is quite fun, which is lovely. In fact, it gives everyone a chance to see 
you know, just on your Facebook feed, it'll pop up and you'll see some some nice highlights of the race. You know, at least you've got to watch that because there was there was plenty of on track action and intrigue, and uh, it was a fabulous race. So, uh, how did it start? Well, obviously Sebastian Vettel just pipped Kimi Räikkönen to pole position on Saturday. Poor old Kimi. I mean, he's driven very well this year so far, but he hasn't quite been able to edge Seb when it really counts. And uh, he's qualified ahead of him before in this season. But unfortunately, Saturday in China, just pipped on the last run. Despite the fact he set three purple sectors, it was all in the final sector where Seb got it. So Seb just got ahead, which was a little shame. But... uh, that it is what it is. Sebastian Vettel, you know, he's one of those drivers. He'll just, he pulls it out. And I was watching qualifying and I was saying to myself, he's going to get pole. He's going to get pole in his last lap. He just, he, that's what he does. You know, he, he doesn't get beaten by his teammate very often when he's got a sniff of pole. So Sebastian Vettel lined up first for uh, Kimi Reichman second. Um, another Ferrari all front row. I mean, we haven't had many of those for a very long time. Many, many years. Um, so uh, so that was uh, that was the Ferraris lining up in the front row, and then we had Valtteri Bottas out qualified Lewis Hamilton once again um, on the second row. Lewis back and forth, another one of those weekends, man. Where you know he's just not quite not quite there. You know I don't know why. I don't know what he's up to in his personal life. I don't know if it's that at all, or maybe he just you know we know the Mercedes is despite Toto Wolff getting angry at the turn we know the Mercedes is still a bit of a diva so maybe that was the, the problem but we had the Mercedes there and then we, of course we had the Red Bulls after that uh, at the start Valtteri Bottas did manage to get ahead of Kimi Raikkonen um, one big criticism I have of Kimi actually is he's not very good at keeping positions when it really counts particularly at the beginning of races in fact I think he's the only driver who hasn't made up a place on the first lap um, potentially of anyone on the grid, I could be wrong about that, but I, I believe I read that somewhere. So he, yes, he's not very good at that. So he didn't manage to keep second. Uh, Valtteri got in, got into second. So we had a split situation where Bottas was putting pressure on Vettel, but and there was a tense opening few laps. There were a few swaps of positions. Alonso managed to move right forward into the top ten, which uh, you know is typical of Alonso. Um, I, again, I won't lie; I'm a huge Alonso fan. He's my favourite driver. I'll admit it right now. So maybe I'm a little biased, but. You know what? I don't think I'm alone in saying that when he has a sniff, he he takes it. So he got himself right into the action in the top ten as well. And uh, the opening laps were were interesting. You know, there, there was there was a bit of jockeying position. There were a few swap places. The Force Indians were fighting hard, uh, but it it started to settle down into a little bit of a procession towards the first stops. You know, we it, just going it was getting a bit dull the race. And you think, oh, this is going to be a long, this could be a long uh, afternoon at this point. You're looking at the lap count. You're thinking, oh, we're only 14 laps in. It feels like we should be 30 sort of thing, you know. Uh, it was it was going that way. But then we had, we got into that first pit stop window. And uh, Mercedes were very clever because they they executed the undercut. Now we Obviously, we know about the undercut. If you don't know what the undercut is, it's the phenomenon that uh, happens when you switch tires, uh, put a fresh set of tires on before your before your competitors do. If you stop a lap or two earlier, you get a big uh, load of grip from those new tires, a load more grip than you had from the old tires that you're about to get rid of in your pit stop, which allows you the opportunity to really put the hammer down and uh, put in some quick lap times, which uh, which is exactly what uh, Mercedes did and put a huge amount of pressure on Ferrari. Ferrari didn't react to this undercut. 
Um, apparently, the undercut at um, at the Shanghai Circuit in China is very powerful, and we could see that because very quickly uh, Vettel's lead of a few seconds over Bottas might have even been up to about five or six seconds at the stops was very quickly eroded, and it was very surprising that uh, Sebastian Vettel didn't come in straight away. Normally, they cover off the undercut attempt. You say, right, that person's coming in. They're putting fresh tires on. They're going to be really quick out of, out of the the, uh, the pits here. I've got to cover this off. So you bring them in the very next lap. Or even if you're really clever, you can see what lap they're coming in on. And you come in on the same lap just to cancel it out completely. But Ferrari didn't do that. Ferrari was asleep at the wheel. They, uh, they left Seb out for, I think, two or three laps after the undercut. And of course, when they finally brought him in, came out again. And the stops were a little bit tentative, it has to be said, because of, uh, I think, some of the issues that have, uh, have been happening with uh, blundered pit stops recently. And, of course, uh, the poor uh, Ferrari mechanic who broke his leg in Bahrain as a result of a botched pit stop. So that certainly um, probably slowed down Ferrari a little bit as well. It wasn't the fastest stop. And Seb came out behind Valtteri Bottas. And uh, that, at that point, and Lewis, of course, had come in as well, and he was looking very quick. So we had a situation where Kimi Raikkonen was out front and the two Mercedes were behind and, and Seb was there and you had a situation of a total flip round at this point when the Mercedes suddenly looked like it had some speed, it had some had some real uh, pace about it and uh, was, Mercedes were taking this, the race by the scruff of the neck. You had to say at that point, well, well played Mercedes, good good strategy. You got your cars ahead. Um and it looked like Bottas's race for the taking at that point. Uh, Ferrari uh, left Kimi Raikkonen out and didn't bring him in straight away. We'll talk about that in a minute when we talk about the Raikkonen factor. Um, it didn't help. Um, it didn't help slow down Bottas when he eventually caught up with Raikkonen and then he eventually pitted. Um, and the race looked set set on for a Mercedes uh, a Mercedes victory until. Until you, you might be thinking, well, if you haven't watched the race, you're thinking, well, how the hell does Danny Rick come into this? Well, then there was a bit of an issue with the Toro Rossos. Uh, apparently, they were supposed to swap positions. Uh, <laughs> Brendan Hartley was ahead of Pierre Gasly. And there's a big back straight at the Shanghai circuit. Really long straight. It was the longest straight on the F1 calendar until very recently. And the big hairpin stop at the end. And uh, they were supposed to swap positions because of a strategy situation uh, but there was miscommunication and Pierre Gasly ended up barreling into the side of Brendan Hartley at the hairpin not the first person to do that in this race as we'll get on to in a minute but uh, that did rather cause uh, a bit of a it was a mild smash but and the cars got going again but it did leave debris across, across the track and um, parts of the racing line around the hairpin so after a little bit of deliberation, the FIA brought out the safety car because it was decided that it was dangerous and cars could go over the debris and cut the tyres and all sorts. So, you know, whether you agree with the safety car or not, it came out. And the timing of it was very unfortunate for the leading runners. It was just after they passed the pit entry. So they didn't have the instant opportunity to dive in the pits because that's what people sell from that uh, a safety car. It often gives you the chance to have a free pit stop because of the fact the cars will have to slow down so much and then line up behind the safety car. And of course, once they've lined up behind the safety car, when the safety car is released subsequently a few laps later, they're all very close to each other anyway. And if you've got fresh rubber on, then you can capitalize. So that's exactly what Red Bull did. They only had a few moments to think about it. 
But they instantly brought their cars in as soon as they got round, as soon as the safety car came out, within a few seconds, they decided to bring them in for fresh tyres, put them on the soft tyre. And uh, both cars, and they double-stacked them. It was the second time in the race. It was their second pit stop, and both times they double-stacked their cars, and they performed perfect pit stops with only a few seconds between each car coming in. And the cars re-emerged on track in the safety car queue. I can't remember exactly what positions they came out in, but they were in the sort of the top six to eight places uh, with fresh, soft tyres on. No one else, none of the other top runners decided to stop. They all decided to try and eke out a one-stop strategy. And, of course, that's where Danny Rick and Max Verstappen came into their own. And uh, as soon as the safety car came in, they had enormous pace. They were so much faster than the cars ahead. And they carved their way through the field. Danny Rick a lot more successfully than Max Verstappen. Max... um, making a couple of mistakes, trying to get past Lewis Hamilton and going wide, um, and then subsequently um, hitting Sebastian Vettel. A light tap, but it it, spun them round and it ruined his opportunity, and it got him a 10-second penalty uh, for dangerous driving. And that allowed Danny Ricciardo to actually get ahead of Max, because when they came out of the pits, Max was actually uh, in in front of Danny Rick. Excuse me. Uh, And then... um, Danny Rick was there, There, the race was for the taking, and he executed some fantastic overtaking manoeuvres. Absolutely brilliant. Um, made his way past uh, Lewis Hamilton, Sebastian Vettel, Valtteri Bottas in a variety of places in different ways, and it really was a masterclass, and that allowed him to take the win. It was great fun. It was great to see. No one would have predicted it. Even halfway through the race, you wouldn't have seen it coming. But you have to say it was a great victory for Danny Rick and it was a great victory for Red Bull. What a great team effort that weekend. You have to take your hat off to the boys and girls um, at Red Bull because not only did Danny Rick drive superbly, but the fact they managed to change his engine before qualifying in record time, just two hours. It normally takes three hours at least to change one of these hybrid engines. They're so complex in the old days, they used to have the whole drivetrain at the back of the car, the engine, the gearbox, just to sort of bolt it on and bolt it off. It was very easy. Whereas these engines are so complicated with all the different intricate parts. And, of course, you had to change the right bits and leave other bits on because of all the different parts of the engine that need to be preserved from race to race because they can only use three of everything this year, including the turbo and uh, the ICE and all that sort of thing. So... Um, the MGUH, the MGUK, so they managed to do it and they got him out just a couple of minutes left uh, in in Q1 and of course he managed to qualify fine he didn't quite beat his teammate of course but we'll, we'll forgive him that for the lack of preparation um, didn't quite beat his teammate on the grid but he beat him on the day and he really served up a lesson to Max so brilliant um, racecraft from Danny Rick and brilliant race engineering from the Red Bull team, you'd have to probably argue that they're the best team operationally on the grid and they really did make Mercedes and Ferrari look quite foolish in not responding to the opportunity of the safety car when it came out. Red Bull were the only top team who dived in for fresh tyres and put the soft tyres on and gave themselves a huge pace advantage. Uh, Mercedes said yet again, well our data suggested it wasn't a good strategy and you know what this is the second time the Mercedes have made a, a poor call and when it comes to strategy, because they've been too reliant on looking at what, what the data says and what engineers are looking at laptops are saying, you know, what, what the what the AI sort of thinks is the best way. But you know what? 
I don't think Red Bull employed quite the same strategy. I think they had intelligent people on the pit wall, actual people looking out on the track saying, oh, we've got a chance here, let's bring them in. And that's what they did, and they won the race. It was a gamble. Nobody knew it was necessarily going to work. It wasn't an absolute certainty that it would work, but it did. And it just highlights the point that these teams really need to rely less on this data-driven strategy stuff. I mean, I, I put in my uh, my blueprint for a better F1. I said, one of the things I said they should do is reduce this reliance on data because it's just it doesn't help the product of Formula One. I think, and and you know, and in these cases, it actually was very detrimental to their chances of winning. You, I think we'd rather see clever people making strategy calls than just looking at what a computer's telling you based on pure data. A computer can't make an articulated decision. It can't make an informed decision based on all the permutations of knowledge and experience that a person can. So um, hopefully, I'm sure, and I'm quite sure, Mercedes uh, will learn from these mistakes and, and Ferrari as well. So that's Danny Rick and Red Bull. Great job to both of them. Now we move on to Max Verstappen. You know what? This should have been Max Verstappen's victory. It was Max all over because he came out of the pits first. He'd been running ahead of Danny Rick in the race. He had the first opportunity. He had the first crack at doing putting in these overtakes. And as I said, Red Bull had so much pace. They had such a big pace advantage. And they had a good 14, 15 laps to execute these moves. And they were right on top of uh, the front runners, Lewis Hamilton and... Uh, Kimi Räikkönen, Sebastian Vettel, Valtteri Bottas, you know, they were right on top of them. But Max just made a complete mess of it. I mean, he put in a couple of good overtakes early in the race. And in fact, he got on the radio at the time and sort of said, oh, that was good. And uh, his race engineer said, don't get greedy. Well, you know, that was sage words. Those, those were sage words from his race engineer because he got greedy. He got very greedy and impatient. And that's the big issue that Max has got right now. He's really impatient. He came up to Lewis Hamilton and uh, he was very close to him out of uh, going into, out of turn six into turn seven, these fast left and right handers at the Chinese track. And rather than just staying close to Lewis, round a few more turns and getting onto the big back straight where he would have had DRS, which was you know perfectly powerful in China. Um, and with the fresh tires, he would have come out onto the back straight with a huge amount more speed than Lewis, um, Lewis had. And he would have had a fantastic opportunity at that point to just breeze past him without much trouble, uh, which is pretty much what Danny Rick did later. Um, but he uh, he got alongside in turn seven and he tried to stay there. He tried to stay side by side through these faster for the fast left hander, and uh, it's very dirty on the outside there. And he just went onto the dirty marbles and uh, and went off the track. Kept the car going in a straight line, but he had to he had to come off the track and, and cut across. And in doing so, lost a lot of time. And, and Danny Ricciardo, who'd been following him fairly closely at that point, just breezed past. And then, of course, it was his turn to try and get past Lewis Hamilton. And he put a spectacular move in to the hairpin at the end of the straight, exactly as I described. He was brilliant on the brakes, really late, but really controlled and um, executed a perfect move. Again, you know, Max was just very impatient. And then later on, when Max was coming up to, to Sebastian Vettel... Um, now behind his teammate, of course, but still in with a great chance to, well, should have got second place at this point. I just put in a really weird half-hearted move into the hairpin. It was just very odd. It, it, he, they were they're very close together at the end of the race, at the end of the straight, rather. And it looked like one of those times where 
you're not you're not quite close enough. You haven't ex you haven't, you haven't gone for it. So you're just going to stay very close to the car in front and follow them uh, through the next section. And then he could add another go down the main straight with another DRS zone. But he didn't. He they they came into the braking zone and he was just nose to tail with Seb. And then at the last moment, he just kind of had a lunge down the inside, and this completely caught Seb by surprise, and I very much doubt at that point Seb was even looking at his mirrors, because once you get to the apex of a corner and someone hasn't gone for it, you assume they're not going to, so you, you concentrate on the corner, you're not looking in your mirrors. And uh, Max just kind of made this half-hearted lunge, tried to pull out of it, slid into the side of Sebastian Vettel, and they did this rather amusing sort of slide around together, like a ballet move, where... <laughs> Uh, Max slightly tapped the side of um, Seb's car and they spun around. They're facing the wrong way and, of course, lots, lost a lot of positions. Unfortunately for Sebastian Vettel, he did suffer a bit of floor damage and he lit up his rear tyres in, in trying to prevent the spin. So, And he was obviously trying to nurse these tyres to the end anyway, um, having committed to the one-stop strategy and not pitted under the safety car. So really, that was that was his competitive race done. I mean, he slipped back to eighth place by the end of the race. Um, he just didn't have any pace at all. And Max, uh, for his for his work, got a ten second penalty, as I mentioned earlier. So, you know, Max has just got to rein it in. He's got to learn that bit of patience. And I have to give it to Sebastian Vettel because after the race. Um, Seb went straight over to speak to Max about it. And uh, rather than talking in the press and moaning about his behaviour and getting all angry, um, Seb just went and spoke to him directly and very calmly and just and apparently just said to him, look, you know, the race is long. Long, you had you had much more pace than me. I wasn't going to fight you. You, may as, you should have just been patient and waited and you, you'd be on the podium right now rather than, than finishing uh, back in fifth place as you did. Um, because he ultimately finished behind Lewis Hamilton because of uh, the 10 second penalty a time penalty that was added to his time he couldn't get far enough ahead to finish uh, 10 seconds ahead of Lewis and that's very sage of uh, Sebastian Vettel and in fact on the radio when it happened um, we're used to Sebastian Vettel losing his rag on the radio but I think he's maybe been uh, doing some meditating or something or uh, <laughs> seeing a therapist who knows but uh, he dealt with it very calmly did Sebastian he just he just said on the radio I don't think I have to say anything about this and I was very I was very impressed with Sebastian because we all know he's one big Achilles heel is his temperament at times and he can get quite petulant and um, angry and frustrated and he can make foolish decisions but he clearly seems to be trying to eradicate that that personality trait this year and he dealt with the whole situation very calmly and um, Max apologised to his credit and uh, the matter was sort of closed at that point and they'll move on um, so yeah Max Verstappen we know how enormously talented he is how incredibly fast he is but he's just got to get a bit smarter in race situations because we know he's an amazing overtaker when he wants to be as well. We absolutely know that. But he's got to marshal those talents into a well-honed professional racing driver machine. And, you know, this this, this is what, his third season in Formula One now? Um, well, maybe his fourth season, actually, because he did drive, yeah, I think it might even be his fourth season. So, you know, he's he's not a rookie, anymore is Max. He's got to rein this in if he wants to continue to be uh, to be successful in F1, that's for damn sure. So, moving on from Max Verstappen, let's talk about Pirelli. Uh, yet again, Pirelli have really got the tyre formula right. They, 
it wasn't quite right in Australia. Um, it just never really led to anything, and of course, it led to everyone panicking about uh, tire strategies and uh, thinking, "Oh, we need to sort of change the design of the cars; they can't get close to each other, etc." But in Bahrain, we had a really interesting race where we weren't; no one was sure what the best tire to be on was, and people mixed up all three tire compounds. And again, here in China, we had a very similar situation. The, uh, this was the first time this season where Pirelli have brought a set of tyres um, that weren't exactly in sequence. Um, they brought the medium tyre, the soft tyre, and the ultra soft tyre, missing out the super soft tyre that would normally come between the ultra and the soft. Um, so you had an extra step towards soft uh, with the ultra soft tyre, if that makes any sense, uh, which was the softest tyre, but it was very, very fragile. Um, and drivers were really struggling to keep it in the right temperature window to stop the rears going away. And the left, the left front tyre is very sensitive around the Shanghai track. Um, so there was a real intrigue that was created by that smart thinking from Pirelli. And the compounds that they've created this year, I think they've really got their calculations correct as to the, the sort of downforce levels and the speeds of the cars, which they didn't get quite right last year. Which has meant that we've seen some much more interesting strategy playing out. We've seen teams with a genuine conundrum do we try and eke out a one-stop strategy and lose a lot of pace or do we go for a two-stop with a lot more pace and it's not clear which is the best strategy it's very difficult to work out and that's exactly what we want at ideally every race we're not going to get it at every race it's you know there's some races it's not going to play out that way but hopefully more often than not now Pirelli will have got the formula right and they've brought the right tyres to these tracks to create these really interesting uh, different strategic um, scenarios that keep us guessing as much as the teams are guessing throughout the entire race. Because if they can manage to do that, then that's going to much improve the quality of what we're watching. Because, you know, we want to see overtaking on track and tyre strategy is going to be a key aspect to that, as well as, you know, good strategy in the pits. You know, it's part of the intrigue about F1, what we like to watch about F1. It's not just about you know, you know, I'm not just in stock formulas, you know, I like, I like to see variation, I like to see different ideas coming into play. So smart strategy, when it comes to uh, pit stops and thinking on your feet and trying different things on tires, that keeps the whole race much more interesting, you know, rather than sitting down saying, well, I know there's going to be a pit stop on that 21, and they're all going to go onto this tire. And that's that hopefully there'll be something that'll happen on track, or maybe there'll be a safety car. You know, Pirelli have created a situation where people will be thinking about changing tyres throughout the entire race in that when they've got it just right, and they've got it just right two out of three times this year. Whether they could have done anything to make it better in Australia, maybe if they brought the hypersoft tyre, um, the, the softest of their dry compounds, that might have made a difference. But hats off to Pirelli, done a fantastic job so far. Moving swiftly on, Lewis Hamilton. Well, I'm I'm inclined to write a, an article about this and do check back the website jdf1.tv to see if I have written an article about this. I'm planning to, but because um, I think there's a real story here, potential story. I mean, Lewis Hamilton, as we all know, he you know he, he's an amazing driver. He's I think he's the fastest driver on the grid, and he's one of the most naturally talented um, F1 drivers who ever lived. But he does have these off weekends. You know, we can't hide from it. Even the biggest Lewis Hamilton fan, I think, would admit that. And he did seem to have a bit of an off weekend in China, just like he had a bit of an off weekend in Bahrain. I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on the guy, you know, because at the end of the day, the um, the Mercedes is a very tricky car to drive. It's a tricky car to control. 
um, it seems to have a very narrow operating window. Um, you know, it does still retain those diva qualities that it had last year. And it seems to be inherent to this sort of design philosophy that Mercedes have gone for. They didn't radically change their car this year. They just kind of iterated upon last year's design. They've, they've evolved it rather than it being a revolutionary step, which is more what Ferrari did with their car this year. And they seem to be getting on top of that. So bringing it back to Lewis Hamilton, he does have issues with... Um, certain weekends at certain times where he just seems a bit detached. He seems to be, his mind seems to be wondering. He doesn't seem in a good mood. Um, and when that happens, he he's often, he just doesn't seem to be able to drag that performance out of himself. In contrast to Australia, where Lewis put in probably one of the greatest pole laps he's ever, he's ever managed. In fact, being on pole, I think, what, 6.64, um, tenths of a second I think it was so well over half a second he was on pole by looking at that then we all thought oh god Mercedes we've got so much more pace than everybody they're going to wipe the floor with everyone this this season and that's it it's done and dusted but fortunately it just seems that Lewis had just created an amazing lap I mean Melbourne is a track where you can make something happen that's for sure it's a track track you can really attack uh, but you know he was inspired that weekend and that's what he does when he's inspired he just finds this extra speed but in Bahrain and China, he just hasn't found that. And he seems to be struggling with the car. And to his credit, Valtteri Bottas, after his mistake in qualifying in Australia, has really got his head down. And he's getting more out of the car than Lewis right now. You know, he's been... The only thing you can fault Valtteri for really now is um, maybe just being a little bit indecisive in battle. I think it's a little bit unfair on him to criticise him too harshly for not um, getting Seb Vettel in Bahrain because he literally had one opportunity and it was very much a half chance at best. So I won't criticise him too much for that. But uh, but again, I criticise Mercedes more for not bringing him into play earlier in that race uh, for the race victory. Again, another strategy problem there. But but Lewis just, you know, he's very much behind Valtteri Bottas right now and he needs to, he needs to bring the momentum back. He needs to get his swagger back and he might need to wring the neck of that car rather than getting depressed by it. You know, we've heard lots of him on the, complaining on the radio to the team, saying he's not getting the information he wants and he's not sure how fast he should be going. And there's clearly some communication issues going on here. Haven't heard the same sort of thing from Bottas. He seems to he seems to have a better idea of what's required than Lewis does right now. So, you know, is he is he um, not doing enough preparation? Is he not doing his homework enough? Is, is his personal life getting in the way of that? I don't know. That's pure speculation. I have absolutely no idea. But you do have to wonder if Lewis's heart is in it right now. And I think there's a story in this. Is Lewis's heart in Formula 1 right now? And is he going to stay in F1? He still hasn't signed a new contract, which is surprising. A lot of people thought he would have signed a new contract by now. We were all told that it should be done and dusted by Australia or just afterwards. Well, that was several weeks ago now. Um, and it was still not done. Now, we could be just reading something into this that isn't there. But... Or, or maybe there is. Maybe there is. I think there's a good chance that Lewis Hamilton is genuinely a little bit out of love with F1 right now. And honestly, I think if he's not in with a chance of winning, he's not, um, he's not very engaged psychologically. He's a little bit checked out. Um, unlike someone like uh, Fernando Alonso, who has got so used to not winning, um, I think he's just tapped into his love of racing 
more so than anything. So I think he's able to see the positives. And again, in China, he rung the neck of the car and, and pulled out a great result that was ahead of where the car should be. And Lewis is capable of doing that when he wants to. I mean, Silverstone, you know, when he's inspired by the British crowd, he so often pulls it out and uh, produces Nigel Mansell-esque speed from the crowd. You know, he needs inspiration. And I think racing in its pure form is not enough inspiration for Lewis like it is for Fernando. So I do worry about him, you know, and he's got a real life outside of F1. He's got a lot of his celebrity friends. He, you know, he goes to fashion shows, um, you know, he hangs out with rappers and all sorts. He like, he's created his own music now. So maybe Lewis is thinking, you know what, if I can't win the world championship in the same way I won it last year, if I can't be in control of this thing, if I'm having to fight this hard for it, maybe I don't need it. Maybe four world titles are enough. That's, yeah, it's just, just me speculating, just thinking out loud, but I th- genuinely think there might be something in that story. I, I wouldn't be su- surprised. I'd be, well, okay, I'll qualify the statement. I would be surprised, but I wouldn't be flabbergasted if Lewis Hamilton decided, you know what, I'm off. That doesn't mean he'd be off permanently, of course. He might decide to take a sabbatical, maybe take a year out or two, and then he might decide to come back to F1 uh in the future which uh, you know drivers in in the distant past used to do sometimes um, alan prost did that for example but um yeah i think lewis is in a, a, not in the best place right now and uh you know he, we'll, we'll see what he's made of and what where his heart truly lies i think in the next few races and see how he responds if he responds positively then he can certainly still win this world championship it's very early days and the mercedes despite being difficult is very very fast but if he doesn't and he continues to struggle, and he gets into a negative spiral, and he keep, keeps getting beaten by his teammate, then I could see him easily deciding to say, you know what, I'm done, I'm off, you know, I'm going to go and record music, or whatever he wants to do, or have his own fashion like, line like uh, Fernando Alonso has with his Kimoa clothes, you know, so who knows, uh, I think that could well happen with Lewis Hamilton. Speaking of someone else who uh, probably is a little down in the dumps at the moment, Kimi Raikkonen. Uh, he's had a very solid start to the season. He's been right there with Sebastian Vettel on pace. And in fact, a lot of sessions, he's been quicker than Seb. Seb has used that little extra edge that he often has. Um, that little go faster button that he has probably in his in his brain somewhere to just nip Kimi at certain times. And of course, he got very lucky um, in Australia to finish ahead of Kimi with the virtual safety car. But, you know, you've got to feel for Kimi Raikkonen because despite the fact he's really started to get more on top of the formula as it is a Formula 1 right now. He's clearly got a car that works better for his driving style. He's been treated badly by Ferrari. You know, oh, I mean, the way he was treated in this race, and I referred to it earlier when I was talking about how the race went, after Mercedes pitted and Ferrari didn't react quickly enough to cover them off and cover the undercut, and Sebastian Vettel got overtaken by Valtteri Bottas, they left Kimi Raikkonen out and they just they hung him out to dry at the front because... By not bringing him in, they just decided to use him as a roadblock to slow down Valtteri Bottas. He was on much faster tyres, of course. And Bottas quickly caught up with Kimi, and um, Kimi, you know, made a few half-assed attempts, I'd have to say, at keeping him behind. But uh, he got ahead anyway. He's always going to get ahead, you know. To be fair to Kimi, it wasn't easy um, defending when you're when you're on really old tyres and someone else is on a, a faster compound and, and a, a faster strategy at that point. So just, but just the the way that Ferrari decided just to use him as a sacrificial lamb, just to give Seb an opportunity. It was purely just to try and slow down Bottas enough so that Seb might be able to nip past um, 
after his stock, because obviously Seb stopped a few laps later, so he had a bit more pace than a little bit more pace than Bottas had, um, and was right behind him. But uh, to, to use Kimi like that, he's a world champion, and it really shows just who is top dog at Ferrari. Sebastian Vettel is absolutely the top dog. There's no question of that. They won't acknowledge it publicly in that way, but we all know damn well that uh, that he's fully in control of that team. And uh, he is the outright number one at Ferrari. And it's never been more obvious than it was by the way Ferrari treated Kimi Raikkonen in that race. So frustrating times for Kimi Raikkonen. No wonder he's a bit of a laggard at times if he feels like there's no point in uh, pushing on at the front or pushing on too hard uh, trying to win a race if he feels like he's not allowed to win a race. If he just has to uh, support Sebastian Vettel no matter what. So... Who knows how much it bothers him deep down? I'd like to think it does. You know, there's a perception about Kimi that, oh, well, you know, he's a bit of a rock star and he's a bit of a, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, he doesn't really care, you know, because he doesn't say much in interviews or what have you, but off the track, he's a bit of a wild man, whatever. The fact is, he's, you know, he's a racing driver. If you're a racer, you really care. Of course you want to win. Everybody does. You know, the Marcus Ericsson, Charles Leclerc, the back of the track, they may be last on the track, but that doesn't mean that they have any intention of not wanting to finish as high as possible and be a hero on the day. Of course, everyone does. They're all, you know, you wouldn't get up in the morning. You wouldn't put all the work, enormous work in to be a driver at that level if you didn't want to win. So I feel sorry for Kimi. It's it's awkward for him. It's difficult. But, you know, this may well be his last season. So maybe he's not too worried about it. Maybe he's interested in pastures new. Maybe he'll go back to rallying. Who knows? Who knows? But poor old Kimi. Finally, I'd like to uh, talk about the title fight. Do we have a three-way fight for the title between Red Bull, Mercedes and Ferrari? And I, I, I think we probably do at this point. I'm maybe slightly optimistic to put Red Bull in the mix. But quite frankly, they were pretty unlucky in Australia. Circumstances played against them. They didn't end up on the parts of the track they should have done. And they showed great pace at times. Bahrain, they both retired in the very early going within a few seconds of each other. In, again, unfortunate circumstances. One with Danny Rick having um, an electrical failure in his car, which is unfortunately a fairly common failure with the Renault engine. And uh, Max, again, being foolish in a battle and trying too hard and fighting too hard too early uh, for position with Lewis. I mean, I feel that one was a little more... uh, a little uh, unlucky, more so than him being stupid. Um, I I liked his aggression in that move, but he was a little unlucky. He pushed it maybe a bit too far on, on pushing Lewis out the track. So that ended their race early as well. But Red Bull had a brilliant opportunity in China to show their pace and to show their guile as a team. And they did so. So if they have opportunities like that in the future, then I think they'll be the best placed team to take advantage of those opportunities better than anyone else. I think they've got the best strategy on on the uh, the pit wall. I think they're the sharpest minds. And when you are trying to make up for a deficit, like an engine power deficit, you've got to think outside the box. You've got to think about other ways to achieve your objectives. So I think they're more in tune than Mercedes are for certain because they're so used to running at the front. And Ferrari because, again, they're also used to running near the front, but of course they, they've got an agenda about what driver they want to succeed. I don't think Red Bull have the same agenda. We all know that Max is the Red Bull golden boy, but I'm certainly sure that they were very, very happy that Danny Rick won that race, and they'll definitely be trying to keep him next year. 
Will he go to Ferrari or Mercedes next year? I don't know. I mean, that's a that's probably a story for another day. What are Danny Rick's options? I'll probably again I'll write an article about that. I think he'll probably hang around for now. He doesn't have to make any decisions right now. That's for damn sure. Uh, but he's certainly done his uh, stock no no bad service whatsoever. So Red Bull, they've got all the speed in the car, but they're just still lacking that bit of top speed from the Renault. Renault did turn the engines up a little bit in China. They gave the teams a little more horsepower. They gave them about another tenth of a second in qualifying, but they reckoned it was worth more like half a second in the race. Uh, so that's good. And that certainly means that when it comes to race day, we should see Red Bull far more in the mix, even if they're still lacking a few tenths of a second at most tracks, especially tracks with uh, with long straights. But I, I do think we, we've got a good chance of a three-way battle for the title here. Because Mercedes have got a very quick car, but that is difficult to get working correctly. Ferrari have got a good car all round. Um, and I say it, they're actually the favourites for the championship right now, as long as they don't make foolish decisions with their how they treat their drivers on race day. Um, but of course, they've got such an emphasis on uh, favouring Sebastian Vettel. Uh, that could come back to bite them if they're not careful. And of course, Red Bull do have the, the the race pace. They've got absolutely, I think, the best chassis and the best car on the on the track. But if that, they're always going to be a bit compromised in qualifying, and we know how important qualifying is. So they'll be praying for more uh, opportunities like they've got in China, and praying for Pirelli to still uh, bring fantastic tire compound choices to each race, and uh, to make it very interesting for all of us to watch. That's it for my podcast today. I hope you enjoyed what, uh, watching. You weren't watching it. You were listening to it. I hope you enjoyed listening to my podcast today. Uh, do check my blog, uh, jdf1.tv, for all sorts of coverage of Formula One. It, I, I write articles and news stories on goings-on in Formula One and uh, we'll, like I said, be writing about various topics that I covered today. And uh, we'll be recording more podcasts in the future with special guests and covering each race as it comes along. So until the next race in Baku, have a great day and I'll speak to you soon.